This is Voice of the Musical. Welcome to the first podcast of 2012. My name is Tim Sutton and you can find out a bit more about what I do at my website www.timsutton.net. This episode was recorded on the 15th of December 2011 and if you enjoy it or any of the others in the series please leave a comment or rate us on iTunes. Thank you. Voice of the Musical Welcome to Voice of the Musical. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Sandy Wilson, um, composer of The Boyfriend uh, and many other wonderful musicals. Uh, Sandy, thank you so much for your time. Not at all. The subtitle of this podcast is Inspiration, Technique and Success, um, and it's a resource for new songwriters uh, working in music theatre or hoping to work in music theatre. So some of the questions that I have are specifically regarding the business of show business, as it were. Could you tell me a little bit about how you got started, um, perhaps starting with uh, your days writing material for reviews uh, at, um, at Oxford? Yes, I, I did. I wrote reviews for the Experimental Theatre Club at Oxford, and um, we took a sort of compilation of the best of reviews to town to the Playhouse Theatre, and um, invited as many people as we could think of. And as a result of that, I had several numbers taken for uh, West End Reviews by Hermione Gingold for one and Laurie Lister for another. And that was really my start in in the business. I never had to take a job, thank goodness. (laughs) And what was the atmosphere like at Oxford at that time? Very exciting because it was just post-war. I went up in 1946, and most of us were, I mean, the men were um, out of the forces. So it was it was very exciting. It was a, a sort of a release, and um, the Labour government had got in, and <laughs> it was it was I, I, it's very difficult to say because it was uh, it was just terribly exciting. We, we we were out of the forces. The war was over, and we had everything to look forward to. And there was a great deal of theatre going on. The Ouds were putting on Shakespeare and we were putting on reviews and all the colleges were putting on plays. So I have to say that I spent most of my time either acting or writing or composing. And somehow I got a good degree, I can put it that way. <laughs> and so there was a, it sounds like there was a sort of spirit of optimism throughout everything. Does you think that defined the... The, the theatre of that period, the way that you approach Shakespeare and so on in musical review? Well, I, I, it really was more by chance than anything else because I just wanted to be in theatre. I fancied myself as an actor, of course. Mm. I really wanted to do everything that Noel Coward had done. <laughs> I wanted to write, compose, direct, act, the lot. But I, I just so happened that I, I composed, uh, that I started writing for review. And the first one we did was successful, and I ended up by writing a whole, I think, perhaps a whole review in the end. We did about three, and that started me off. And uh, so it was as if it was, I, you know, willy-nilly, but uh, it was what I wanted to do. And I also, most of my friends seemed to want to act, and there wouldn't be much room for me because I wasn't terribly good. And I found what I could do. That's how it happened. 
Were you writing before then, sort of during, I, I guess, during the war years? Oh, I was always composing in mm. a way, yes. Writing plays and composing. And, and to do a review was the thing then. I mean, it was, it was the current entertainment. I did one at school. I did one. I did one when I went to, um, uh, before I went to into the army, I, I wrote review, amateur reviews. And I was always writing songs and thumping away at the piano. Uh, that's how it happened. I, I, I was sort of born a composer, I think, because I, mm. I was always thinking of music, but then I learned, I learned to play the piano in order to write my music down. I was never a very good pianist, but at least I could write it down and play it, and that's how it happened. Tell me about the influence of Noel Coward. Obviously, he was a huge figure um, in so many ways. Was he the biggest influence on your writing at that time? Not really, no. Uh, as a review writer, I think I was more influenced by a writer called Herbert Fargen, who wrote intimate, what we called intimate reviews mm. in the West End. And also, I was tremendously, a tremendous fan of Ivan Avello. Yes. Uh, I just loved his music. Mm. I went to his shows. They were crazy, fantastic shows. Mm. Uh, but the music got me. I, I liked Noel's work as well, and I admired him tremendously as a figure in the theatre. I think we all did, because he did everything and did it superbly. And eventually, I did in fact meet him. He he came to um, he came to see the boyfriend, and was kind of instrumental in getting it into the West End, mm. and uh, took took an interest in my career too. And and, and and he was a fascinating person anyway. Ivan Novello, obviously, his gift of melody is astonishing, and it seems to me that that's one thing you certainly have in common, a great facility at, uh, at melody. Is is that one of the things that you're proudest of in, in terms of your writing? I think it's... I, I, I guess so. It's very strange, because where did it come from? Mm. Uh, that's what fascinates me. I just... As a small boy, I had tunes going through my head. Mm. I don't know why. I, my family were not particularly musical. It just happened. And I think it's terribly important melody yes. uh, in in the theatre. Because after all, uh, that's what you carry away from when the show is mm. closed yes. and gone. What's left is the, the melody, the tunes, isn't it? Mm. And I've always uh, made an effort to put in as many good tunes as I can into a show for that reason and because I can, I guess. Yes. Well, I mean, it's hugely to be, you know, envied. Um, I, I think it's probably the the highest gift you can you can have as a music theatre composer. Um, I think so. I really do, yeah. Has that gift sort of always been been there i mean i mean elgar talked about sort of just reaching into the ether and plucking at plucking as much music as you need to, has it felt like a kind of flowing tap for you or does it kind of come and go yes 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 actually yes um i i would i went to boarding school and we were always sent to bed early and i would lie in bed and i'd find tunes going through my head just like that uh from a very early age when i was about eight i think and uh, as I say, uh, um, I learned to play the piano rather badly uh, in order to be able to write the music down and play it. And that's how it happened. And where it came from, you tell me. <laughs> I'm very grateful. Yes. Well, I mean, just listening to your to your scores for a composer, for a musician, it's just wonderful because there's just one glorious tune after another. But they're not 
predictable. I think that's that's the thing. It feels like a musician's writer, although obviously they're, they're you know they have huge popular appeal as well. Um, there's something about them which isn't it isn't symmetrical. It's, it isn't four square. It seems very much to be to be felt. Yes, and um, of course the boyfriend is is derivative. I mean, obviously it's derivative. Uh, my other shows are me. <laughs> I can put it like that. And, uh, well, the, the sequel to The Boyfriend, Divorce and Darling, is also derivative because it's set in the 30s, which of course I was brought up in. I, 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 my childhood and adolescence were in the 30s and the, the music of that period, particularly the film music, influenced me tremendously. Mm. Uh, Irving Berlin, mm. Cole Porter, Jerome Kern and so on. I went to all the movies mm. and bought all the sheet music when I started to play the piano. Mm-hmm. And that's really taught me the technique of how to write a song. Mm. I mean, that's you, you, you may be able to think of melodies, but you've got to uh, put them into some kind of shape or form as a song, haven't you? And that I owe to the composers of that period, mm. which I, I, I had no musical training at all. Mm. I simply bought the sheet music and played it and learned from it and learned from masters, I may say. Yes. Was there a point in your life where you actually sat down and thought, I'm going to teach myself, or was it more uh, intuitive than that? I didn't really think of teaching myself. I suppose I, I thought of uh, copying uh, Picking up what I could mm. from um, from composers, some more than others. I was particularly influenced by Rogers and Hart uh, in the thirties and in, more so in the forties. I saw the film of a show called The Boys from Syracuse, and that absolutely knocked me out. I thought that that's wonderful. It's original. It's the lyrics are so intelligent. The music is is unpredictable, which is a, a great thing. I always try to be unpredictable if possible. Uh, Rogers and Hart particularly influenced me. The the wit in Hart's lyrics seems to be something. Absolutely, you, yes. The, the the wit and the and the pathos too, and, uh, unique, unique. When did you first hear the Rogers and Hammerstein shows? When when was the first time that Oklahoma, you know, kind of came into your consciousness? For yeah, um, I first heard the music from a concert party when I was in Iraq, <laughs> <laughs> in, in the army in Iraq. God oh. help us! <laughs> and uh, I heard the music of Oklahoma, and then as soon as it came on at Troy Lane, I went to see it, and I saw it twenty five times. <laughs> uh, I, I, um, you could get into the dress circle at Drury Lane to stand for three and six. Yes. So I would go regularly when I, on vacation once a week. And I, I just knew every note. I, the whole show just knocked me out. I think it, it had such an extraordinary influence mm-hmm. on anyone who saw it and was all interested in, in the musical theatre, I think. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful. And then, of course, I saw the rest of them but yes. as they came. There were so many American musicals, Annie Get Your Gun, Carousel, the, the lot. I saw them all. So your first exposure was through the, the sheet music and the, and, the, and the movies, the film musicals. When was the first time you kind of got down to London and started to get into the vibe of, of, of the West End? Well, we moved, my, uh, my family moved to London in 32. I may say that the first musical I saw was Gold Diggers on Broadway, <laughs> and that was in 
That was in 29, I think. <laughs> My mother was a film fan too, fortunately. So we went to everything. <clears throat> and then we came to London in 32, and then suddenly I found I was, you know, there was the theatre, there was the cinema, there was everything. Thank goodness we did move. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start to meet other music theatre writers and composers? Well, from the time I'd had, a, had numbers in the West End. I only had a, two or three numbers in two shows, but I met Hermione Gingold and Maria Lister and Max Adrian and Elizabeth Welsh and all the people who were in their shows, of course. This was Slings and Arrows and uh, Oranges and Lemons. That's right, yes. And those sort of yeah. late, late 40s review Which, shows. There's a, they were in 48, I think. Mm. And I just went on from there. Uh, not necessarily in the West End, but there were reviews all over the place. Mm. And there was a little theatre which opened up then called the Watergate, mm. which was a club theatre, really. It was like the Fringe Theatres now, but it was a proper little theatre in a basement off the Strand. And I got work writing for review there and met a whole lot more people through that. And the Players Theatre, which was nearby, too. And, of course, the Players was instrumental in... Um what came later for, for, from you? That's right, because the, the director of the, of the theatre, one director in particular, came to see the review with the Watergate and seemed to like my work. And then um, uh, a friend of mine, an, uh, an actress actually, Diana Maddox, who was in reviews of the Watergate, she and did a 1920s sketch in the show, and she suggested to me that I should write a whole show in the 1920s. I said, are you mad, Diana? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, no, I'm going to tell the players, and she did. <laughs> and that's how it happened. I mean, the boyfriend. Mm. The, the boyfriend, I, I guess, like a lot of shows which became successful, is, is one of those things that started small and it got big. Is that the way that things sort of happened there? I mean, were you expecting it to be um, such, a, mm -hmm. such a hit? Oh, no, never. I mean, it was only put on for three weeks. Mm. And the players specialised in period, or in particularly Victorian, Edwardian, and it was put on as another little show at the players, and that's all I expected of it. Mm. I was paid £25 down and £25 on completion. And I thought, well, at least I can pay the rent for a few more months. <laughs> and that's all I, quite honestly, all I thought it was going to happen. And suddenly it took off. It never became big, at least over my dead body. <laughs> um, it, um, it, it was, it's, a, it's a small show. Mm. It just happened to take off. And it, I think the 1920s was in the air at the time, mm. uh, the revival of that period. Because I, I went to Paris with my sister, mm. and we were given tickets to a fashion show. Mm. And I, they were wearing cloth hats. And, <laughs> um, or the semblance of it, mm. and it seemed to be in the air. That didn't occur to me at the time, but it did. Um, and also, I think uh, what it did, the period, was to uh, remind people of another post-war period yes. when things had been pretty grim and suddenly took off and everything, everything was jolly and you know, everyone was dancing and so And uh, that kind of led on to the 60s, you see. Mm. And the old, the old people, for them it was nostalgic. When I say old, I mean elderly. Mm. And for the youngsters, it was a revelation. Yes. And so I, I was fortunate in that it appealed to both generations. Were you specifically 
pastiching certain composers in the numbers from the boyfriend? Oh, every, every one of them. Mm. Every, I mean, the only composer that I didn't attempt to, well, pastiche was Gershwin. You can't. Mm. I mean, Gershwin is just, well, he's Gershwin. But Berlin, Porter, Rogers, now there are touches of all of them in, mm. in the boyfriend. Yes. You know, speaking of um, your other shows, I've been listening to Valmouth, which is a glorious score. How how was that compared to the huge and unexpected success of The Boyfriend? You have here a show which is very, very self-assured musically, but you know was tackling a, a subject which audiences found difficult. Could you tell me a little bit about how that came to be? Uh, yes. Um, there was a, a show called The Jazz Train, which came from America in the um, 50s a black jazz show. And one of the um, actresses was a wonderful singer called Bertice Redding. And I had read the novel of Valmouth and, um, by Ronald Furbank. And the principal character is a rather rotund black masseuse called Mrs. Madame Yajnavalka. And I was approached by the Royal Court here to write a show and a friend of mine who also read the novel said um, uh, to write a show for Bertice, who had had a great success at the Royal Court as an actress as well as a singer. And um, this, this chap said, well, why don't you do Valmouth? Because she is Madame Gage de Valka. That's how it happened. Mm. I suggested it to the Royal Court, who thought, oh, how wonderful. It's so highbrow, it's so out of the way, it's so this, that, and the other. Mm. <laughs> of course we'll do it. They didn't in the end, because they didn't, well, I won't go into that, <laughs> but <laughs> they, they didn't. <laughs> I'm rather glad they didn't as much. <laughs> uh, because um, they thought that the book and lyrics were very good, but they didn't care for my music. So I said, well, goodbye. <laughs> and I took it to Michael Codron, who took it Big chance. He was a very young, uh, new producer in the West End. And he said, um, I'll do it. And I said, I've got some money from the boyfriend. I'll back it. And let's do it. That's how it happened. And I understand Batiste went back to America and was replaced by Cleo Lane, who is featured on yes, the... Yes, that's right. I mean, Batiste opened the show... And we opened it in the Lyric Theatre, Hammersmith, and we couldn't get a theatre for a long time. Well, it was packed. I mean, it was very successful, mm. uh, but admittedly rather unusual subject for a musical. Mm. And one didn't know what the general public would think of it or what the critics would make of it, although the critics, as a whole, admired it very much. Mm. Um, so we couldn't get a theatre, and Bertice had... Um, being offered the part that she'd played in uh, the Requiem for a Nun at the Royal Court um, here. And eventually she said, I'm afraid I've got to go. Mm. And we quite understood, uh, because she was going to Broadway, but where would be, how would we replace her? And we we were pretty desperate, I have to say. Mm. We also got to, almost got to the point of playing her understudy, who was white and had gone on and backed up but then <laughs> Cleo, Cleo turned up and although she was a bit young for the part uh, she sang beautifully and she had done a bit of acting 
So we took her on, and she she played it in the West End, and also made the recording. Yes, yes, it's extraordinary listening to the recording and hearing that very very familiar voice in a in, well in a different context or a different context to to what jazz fans will be be used to. And yes, yes, with different orchestrations, I'm afraid, but we won't go into that. Well, it, it's 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 with the with the uh, with the organ uh, in there. It's. I mean, it, it's very, very unusual. It, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that it's not how you would have in, intended it, but um, as a, as a, an artifact um, of the show, it's extraordinary. Well, the thing was that we had to be economised mm. on the orchestra, and a friend of mine, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wright, the composer, said, "Why don't you have an organ, a, a, a cinema-type organ? Mm. They can make all sorts of sounds." And they will give it that slightly religious atmosphere mm. because it's all about it's all based on Roman Catholics and um, I mean the whole thing is ridiculous really but it's, <laughs> but it's it's very funny and there are cardinals and nuns in it and all that mm. it, 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 it's it's outrageous really mm. when you think about it and and it did give it that that uh, touch um, which unfortunately wasn't was not used in Clear's um, uh, numbers because Johnny Dankworth didn't like it, but that's that's another thing. Um, but it, and, no, I was very happy with the organ, and and it, and, it, and it, of course it wasn't just playing like a church organ; it was mm. making all sorts of other sounds as well. Yes, and and very well played as well. Very well, yes. He was a very ex- experienced cinema organ organist. Yes, Neville Neal, his name was. So during that time when you were working in the West End, writing for reviews and then writing your own shows, you were working with some extraordinary performers. You know, you've mentioned Hermione Gingold, Cleo Lane, Fenella Fielding was also on the... Um, well, Fenella was a, was a find. I mean, I, I, I had known her for some time, actually, and we were very stuck to cast that part because it was actually the part of, a, of an 80-year-old nymphomaniac. And... Uh, <laughs> And 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 Fenella was in her twenties, mm. <laughs> but we, I said to Vida Hope, Vida Hope, who was an essential part of my career because she directed the boyfriend and and was half of it really. She made it a wonderful production, and she was directing Belmont. And I said, uh, I mean, Fenella was not known really, and I said to Belmont, to Vida, um, shall we take a chance on Fenella? And, yeah. and Vida said, okay. <laughs> and it made her a star. Yes, and of course she now is, um, well, somewhat more akin to that, to that age. I wonder if they'll be a, take bring her back for a revival at some point. Well, she plays it again. We we revived it at Chichester in mm. the in the eighties, and I was she wasn't quite that old. <laughs> she was a bit, bit nearer the age. We we managed to get Bertie's back and Fenella uh, as well, and um, and and. Um, God, I couldn't have gotten anyway, some of the original cast came back to Chichester, and at that that recording was Bertie's, and is much better, really. I have to say. Obviously, review um, hugely popular then, sort of almost totally absent now from the from the London stage. Do you do you mourn that? Do you regret? I, I do actually, from two points of view. I think they were very good entertainment. I mean, they were really like having a, a lovely meal. Mm, you know, mm. uh, one number after another one would be a charming song. The next one would be a funny song. Then there would be a, a funny sketch. It, um, so you, you felt 
you, you got a lot for your money, really. Mm. And also, it was wonderful training for performers because they had to act, they had to sing, they had to dance, and they had to quick change and flash uh, all in one evening. And I do miss it, really, very much. Uh, but it just died out. I think television killed it in a way. They show, you know, uh, things like that with the week that was and so on, uh, which were more immediate because they didn't have to, they didn't have censorship either. Um, mm. They could do something that, you know, they could have a sketch about something that had happened last week. We couldn't do that. I think in a way they took over. It That took over. Um, and I, I do, I do miss it actually. Every now and then people say, why don't you do a review? And I, I'd say, well, I, I, I don't honestly think people will go for it. They might. I don't know. I mean, and also, how would you cast it? Because nobody's trained for it in that now. They did revive the gate reviews or a selection from the gate reviews, which is where Hanani started, mm. at the, um, the King's Head. I don't know if you saw it a few years ago. Uh, uh, and although it was lovely to hear the numbers again, they really couldn't do them. Mm. I mean, I have to say that uh, they just hadn't got the training. Mm. Um, so that that would be part of the trouble, I think. You've seen a huge development, progression, uh, change in styles in, in music theatre from when you started. Um, yes. Sort of six, more than 60 years ago. Oh, my God, the is <laughs> Uh, oh, you've left that Broadway. Never mind. Well, you know, tell tell me about that. Um, what, how was Broadway? Oh. And uh, because you had Julie Andrews making her debut. Yes, indeed, we in, did. In the boyfriend, it was wonderful. Because we, we couldn't take the British cast because they were still playing in London. In any case, you couldn't do that. Mm. So we we had to replace them. And the one thing, the difficulty was to replace Anne Rogers, mm. who had taken over the part of the few hours notice of the third. And she was wonderful. And we discovered Julie Andrews, or rather, I mean, she was well known on radio. And we mm. saw her in Cinderella at the Palladium. Mm. And uh, both of us said, oh, she's it. And she was indeed. No, the thing was that uh, it was all, it was fine up to a point. And then uh, the dress rehearsal period, the producers decided to throw us out and take over. Um. And it wasn't quite the show that we intended. Mm. It was a success. Mm. Um, I was just told, well, take the money and run, which I did. <laughs> yeah, don't talk about that anymore. You were talking about musicals now. Yes. Or, or I, the change, I, the change. Because the scene has changed so much. Um, yes. And it feels like there are fewer opportunities for new writers. I mean, whether that's true or not, or whether we, you know, as as ever, one has to make one's own opportunities. But but what, what do you, what is your feeling about the kind of current state of musical theatre? That's a big question, but... Um... Well, I, to talk about it as uh, what is successful, no doubt the British musical of a sort has become very successful and, and certainly uh, commercially successful. Uh, one only has to look at uh, uh, Lord Lloyd Webber's work and, and, uh, and so on, um, on both sides of the Atlantic, indeed, mm. um, all over the world. Uh, what what I think of it um, is, is is something else because <laughs> tastes change, don't they? Yes, yes. Um, and I I have seen I saw not all of them, but I saw two or three of them 
um, when you know um, Jesus Christ and, mm. and of course Phantom of the Opera, and um, I find that 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 they uh, a, a, a different style altogether because they're dominated by the music and the singing, and the the book and the lyrics seem to have rather not not faded out, but they're they're uh, subject to the music the whole time. I mean, uh, a show like Cats mm. uh, is really a sort of glorified review, isn't it? Mm. Um, with, a, with a great deal of singing and dancing, and, and not much else besides. I mean, of course, T.S. Eliot's poems are great. And also, I, I, I find that the, the, the book, the book in, 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 in general, uh, doesn't really grip me. Mm. Uh, I, I, I think it's important, all their musicals are, in, in a way, uh, nonsense, well, not realistic or not. Mm. But I think they should touch your heart. Yes. One way or another. Yeah. I mean, even the boyfriend touches people's hearts. Yes. <laughs> and um, I find that's lacking. Yes. Uh, but what can, I, what can I say? There they are. <laughs> there they are for 25 years, one of them. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, yes. And, uh, I think that's a pity to occupy a theatre for so long, but mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't go into that. <laughs> do, do you think that the actual skill of book writing has sort of slightly been uh, forgotten? Because obviously we have so many, what are termed, jukebox musicals, which are just sort of uh, attempts, That's right. successful yes, or, that, you know, yes. or less. So to, to They're compilations, aren't they, of old, old numbers, yes. And also this curious thing of, of adapting movies, mm. which, in, I mean, occasionally works, but for me, doesn't. Mm. I'd sooner see the film, quite yes. honestly. Yes. Because, the, um, I mean, if it's any good, I don't really want to see a musical version which lasts for two and a half hours <laughs> when the film only lasts for an hour and a half. You know what I mean? Mm. For example, they're, they're just bringing out a musical of Top Hat, a stage musical of Top Hat, mm. which seems to me, frankly, crazy. <laughs> but they are. That's, that seems to be the, the, um, the trend now, doesn't it? In fact, people are looking for movies to turn into a stage musical, where it used to be the other way around. Yes, and 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 speaking of, of of which, of course, very very topically, it was the sad, sad death of Ken Russell last um, last week. Um, we <laughs> we come to the the, the movie adaptation of the uh, Boyfriend, um, mm-hmm. which, uh, as I gather, excuse it, me if I'm laughing, <laughs> which, as I gather, you're not overly fond, shall we say? I was baffled, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when through Twiggy, it was uh, the, the, the Russell got the movie rights from MGM. It was nothing to do with me. I, they were sold to MGM years before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd seen a couple of his films, The Devils yes. and Music Lovers, yes. just previous to seeing The Boyfriend. So I was expecting to be shocked and outraged and horrified. <laughs> but I wasn't. I was completely baffled. Cause I had the faintest idea what was going on. <laughs> he seemed to be t- turning The Boyfriend into a Suddenly, it became the Busby Barclay musical, mm. rather bad versions of Busby Barclay, uh, you know, Warner Brothers. Mm. I, I sat there, backward, <laughs> and I did recognize the music, anyway. <laughs> and Twiggy was sweet.
but the thing was that when when the idea of making the movie is making a movie, I was asked by the Broadway producers to 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 include the film rights. Mm. And uh, at that time, an English producer wanted to direct and wanted Vida to direct it and me to write it and so on. And Vida said to me, look, I think, I, I don't really think it will work. She'd already done three productions of it, twice of the players and the West End and then Broadway. She said, I'll never want to see another cash head again as long as I live there. <laughs> So she said, take the money. Yeah. If they'll never make a film of it. And they never did for at least got about 20 years, I think. Yes. It was before they actually got around to making the film. What do you feel about the state of songwriting craft? Because, I mean, it, you're talking about learning from Irving Berlin, from Cole Porter, through the, through the music that you were buying and playing. Yes. Um, and those composers are still, you know, held in um, in reverence. Do you think? Do you think that along the way we've somehow lost a little bit of the the art of crafting a, you know, the perfect song? I don't know. Uh, certainly, um, you're talking about influences. I mean, I, I noticed that Sondheim has had a tremendous influence on on songwriting. Um, and and I suppose like Weber, but certainly Sondheim. I mean, he's made a tremendous difference. In fact, certainly, I don't go to the musicals very much now. When I hear them, I think, oh, gosh, they're, they're, they're doing the Sondheim. Um, and whether that's a good thing or not, who can tell? Mm. I, I mean, I admire him. I think he's very, very brilliantly clever. But I frankly don't like him. I mean, not as a person. I've only met him once. But I, it, again, it, it, nothing touches me. It's, mm. To me, it's all, it's all the brain and not much of the heart. But, I, but you asked me whether his mu- music will last. Who can tell? I really don't know. I mean, in every show, there seems to be one number, like um, don't send in the clouds. Or send in the clouds. Send in the clouds. Or, or, or don't, <laughs> if you're not a fan. Don't finish the hat. I shouldn't be saying that. No, but I, I think it's a very interesting question, and, and I've asked um, you know other other people about this because you know you ha- you have Sondheim and you have Lloyd Webber, and they're they're two huge presences in very different ways, um, and have very different followings, yes. I suppose. Um, although there is a tendency, excuse me, there is a tendency I find, particularly from Lloyd Webber, to he it seems to me he's really trying to write operas. Mm, mm. Uh, that's a that's a feeling I had um, that, that that so much of it is singing, sheer singing. They sing and they sing and they sing, and I think, well, why doesn't he make it into an opera? Or maybe he wants to. Yes, well, the 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 whole movement towards a through composed score is something that he was that's right, very yes. much at the vanguard of. And yes, yes. I mean, I'm very much of the of the school that they they they, they speak a bit. Mm. They tell the story, they get to know each other, or they fail, or whatever. then there's a number, and there's a bit of dancing. I know that's old-fashioned, but that's the way I work, and that's, that's how I, I like a musical, I'm afraid. I shouldn't be afraid. <laughs> Fortunately, there are still book musicals which do come through, and there are still musicals which which succeed because of their charm and because of their heart, um, mm-hmm. e- e- albeit sometimes quite subversively, like something like a- uh, Avenue Q. I don't know if you've seen Avenue Q, but uh, it's a rather subversive, a little bit raunchy version of, uh, of Sesame Street. Um, but the construction of it is very much along classic book musical lines. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know and the songs are very well crafted in that sense so yeah. you know i think i think we still we still crave the intimacy oh, i'm sure yes i'm sure we do mm. would you have any ad- advice for composers or lyricists or librettists who are sort of starting out now um, as to how to go about this slightly crazy business I'm really in a way a wrong person to ask because <laughs> you see I'm a one man band yes. I'd I, I write the book the lyrics and the music mm. which a way, in a way is fortunate because I get all the royalties <laughs> yes <laughs> but on the other hand uh, I miss it what I miss is someone to collaborate with. In fact, I've often, when I've met a playwright, uh, I even asked John Osborne at one point, um, "Why don't you write me a music and write me a book?" And they they look rather askance. In fact, John did write a musical. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, uh, and and um, I never hear anything more. Uh, so, I think that the important thing is, you know, if you're a composer team yourself up with a lyricist you can work with mm. and particularly find a good book writer. Mm. I do think that's terribly important. I always write the book first, mm. always. Mm. Uh, occasionally when I'm writing the book, I think that might be a good point for a number. But I don't distract myself from my getting the framework of the book. And then um, what you've got is, if you're talking about, it, uh, about the show to anyone who's interested, you say, well, it's about this. Mm. This is what it's about. Mm. And if they think it's a good idea, then say, and these are the songs. But then play them a few songs. Then say, isn't it a lovely musical? Yes. Because nine, five, nine cases out of ten, most producers are dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so be, be, be sure you get, get, a, a, get a good book writer mm. and, a, and a good lyric writer. I, 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 think, I think you've got to have a Obviously, you've got to have a good composer. And in a way, th- uh, that's what's going to sell the show, isn't it? Mm. But um, if, if you are a composer or if you're a lyric writer, find yourself a team and then uh, get together and, uh, with the book writer and say, go ahead and take it from there. Mm. I wonder, thinking about this, is whether the, whether the trend towards adaptations from films to musicals perhaps that's a reflection of the fact that actually the art of book writing is 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 slightly dying out you know the, the people want to kind of take a package that at least in one format they know it works you know could be could be i'm amazed that it ha- that in some cases it happens so quickly like uh Priscilla, yes queen of the desert because i mean it's only a few years since i saw the movie mm. uh, and i loved it i've not seen the show i don't want to uh, so it, it does seem to find an idea yes. is hellish. I mean, I, read, I, 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 I very rarely write an original. I've never written one original musical next to mm. Buccaneer. I can't call Divorce My Darling and the Boyfriend originals because they're, they're pastiches. Mm-hmm. But I, I now read books endlessly mm. um, and hope to find the right subject. And my other musicals, I, I, I wrote a, a, a musical called His Monkey Wife, mm. um, which someone told me about the novel, or rather I overheard someone talking about it. And he, and he said, I wonder why nobody's made a musical of that novel that was published in the 20s. Um, it's all about a, a schoolmaster 
who inadvertently marries a chimpanzee. <laughs> and I thought, is he drunk? <laughs> and I went, I went into a bookshop shortly afterwards, Sundays in Chelsea, and I said, have you ever heard of a book called His Monkey Wife? And John Sander took it down from the shelf and said, it's just been republished. Mm. Just like that. And I read it and I thought, that's it. Mm. <laughs> and I took it to Vivian Matlon, who runs the Hampstead book, Hampstead, uh, or the Hampstead Theatre Club. And, then. and I told Vivian this. I said, it's about a schoolmaster who inadvertently marries a chimpanzee. And he said, do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's rather unusual with the producer. <laughs> And I mean that's how it happened. And so I, I read books all. I, I mean mm. I don't. I no longer do, but I I do. I go, either go to the library or go to a bookshop, and and uh, and I don't find that's where I find my ideas because I'm not very good on 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 finding original ideas. I have to have to admit. And the, the clap and wonder was that a, a novel as well? Yes, it was called The Vet's Daughter. Yeah, and that's about um, the vet's daughter who finds she can levitate. Mm. And she does it on clap and common <laughs> <laughs> to the astonishment of everybody. <laughs> and that appealed to me too. I had to say my my, my ideas rather come from left left wing, whatever you call me left left field. Left field. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I enjoy. I will never try and imitate myself. Mm. I mean people say, Why don't you write something like my boyfriend? Never, never, never. Mm. I mean, The Divorce Me Darling was a sequel mm. and it was not a great success. Mm. But I just felt like doing it because I loved the 30s. Yes, yes. I mean, the 30s I remember. The boyfriend I don't remember. I was in my cradle, really. Mm. But I, I, my sisters used to play the mu- music, that's how it happened. But the 30s I remember year by year. Yes. Well, I was speaking to Charles Hart last week and oh, he, yes. he said something s- similar, you know, in terms of the unusual, the weird idea, the thing that, you know, no one will ever believe you when you tell them about it, that's probably yes. a good place to start, you know. I think I think to find something, uh, yes, original, be original, mm. yes. Do, do you have a feeling when you find some source material that you connect with? Do you recognise it instantly? No, no, I have to think it over, really. Mm. Um, and and it's... It, it's so much a matter of chance, Tim. Mm. Um, I mean, like that, that his monkey wife. And when I heard it was um, uh, um, this chap talking about it, I thought, no, it can't be. Mm. I mean, <laughs> I, did, I did. It was at a dinner party. It was, um, ah. yeah, my can't remember his name. He was a very well-known playwright. Uh, that's why I listened to him, actually. He wasn't talking to me. <laughs> um, and I, I thought... And I thought, well, I'll just find out if he was, if it's really true mm. that there is such a novel. <laughs> and that's, and then if I went into Sanders, and there it was. And, there, and that seemed to come like the thing of God, do you know what I mean? How, how, how much does, does luck play a part in, in this business? I mean... No, I, I don't honestly believe in luck. Mm. I don't. Mm. It may sound silly, but I think it's somehow destined. Mm. I really do. Yes, yes, I do. Mm. I mean, if I look back on it, I can see a chain from one thing to the next. You know what I mean? Mm. Yes. So I'm talking rather from the hindsight. Mm. Because at the time, it seemed 
you know, that's was meant to happen. I, it's very difficult to explain. But when people say to me how lucky you were, mm. I I say no, I wasn't really. Mm. But it but it but it was it it was somehow meant to happen, and I was there. Yes, and um, I mean, it's a it's a marvelous feeling, isn't it? When when somehow the paths cross, the threads cross, and suddenly something's happening. Um, also, can I just interrupt you? You, you, in a way, you've got to, you've got to know it. Yes. You've got to recognize it. Mm. I, I can give you several examples of that, that something happens, and you think, I've got to follow that up, or mm. who it is. Mm. Uh, that is, uh, is, is also important, to be able to recognize it and say, and go for it. Jeffrey Wright, who, who was a, uh, not just an influence on uh, the composer, uh, we, we met up really by chance. He he knew someone who knew me and so on. Um, and I worked with him. We wrote, wrote a musical together. And he was great help to me because I was nobody. And he was very well known. He'd written reviews at the gate and he wrote a wonderful song called Transatlantic Alibi. Mm. And um, uh, he took me to a review at, this, at the um, Citizen Theatre, which no longer exists. Mm. And I thought it was very good. And I looked at my program and I thought, directed by Vida Hope. And I knew her as an actress. I'd seen her in every show before the wars and everything. And so when um, the second review at the Watergate that I wrote completely, mm-hmm. um, they said to me, who would you want to direct? And I said, I want Vida Hope. I'd never met her. Or rather, no, I, ha- I, I had just met her socially, but I, but I, I never, not really, you know. And so I said, Vida Hope. And they didn't. I mean, fortunately, they said, because the previous year had been so successful and I was in there, mm. they said, okay, well, will you ask? And that's how it happened. I mean, that's an example. Mm. Would you say that the approach is simply to, to be bold, to believe in what you have and and make the approach? I think, uh, to you, you talk about sort of finding the right subject. For example... Um, someone, uh, Leslie Norton came to me, and I'd never met him, he came to me some years ago now, and said uh, he was compiling uh, a show um, based on the writings of Dorothy Parker, uh-huh. whom I knew, knew about, of course. And um, he, he wanted someone to write the music for her poems. And I thought, what an extraordinary idea. <laughs> In any case, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I write my own lyrics, and he he, he just sort of chatted and I said, oh, how interesting. Then he said, I'm writing it for Libby Morris. I thought Libby Morris, whom I loved, I'd seen her on television, and um, I thought I'd like to work, I'd like to work with her, mm. <laughs> you know. Yes. And he left behind when he left. He, he left the Penguin version of um, or the paperback of Dorothy Parker. And I just, all her, all her poems and other things. So I just took it to the piano and I thought, well, I'll have a go. I put it, I opened it up and I literally set one poem <laughs> like that. And, and so I thought, well, hell, I'll, 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 I'll do a few more mm. and I'll have a go. At least I'll meet this little noise. I took it to, to I, I told told Leslie, and they said, would you play them for Lydia? And I said, yes, I'll play them. I don't know what to happen. <laughs> I took them, took them up to her flat, 
I played them, and she stood up and she said, we've got a show. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, my God, I think we have. <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> Are there any musicals which you would have liked to write or... Um, that... Yes, The Boys from Syracuse. <laughs> the Boys from Syracuse, yeah. On Your Toes, Pal J. Mm. Not, not that I could have, but there's a, there's, if anybody asked me, what show would you like to see again? I said, those are the three. And um, are there any shows that you would still like to write? Shows shows unwritten. I mean, I'm, as you say, you're reading all the time. Well, I've got quite a few. I've got kind of quite a few on the file mm. that I wouldn't mind seeing mm. done. <laughs> I once wrote a show for Hermione Gingold and Jeanette Macdonald. Wow. I wrote it. I mean, it was it was, it was commissioned for Broadway, but it it never got never got to the stage, unfortunately. Mm. But they were quite a combination. Yes, I can imagine. What what are your fondest memories of of those times, whether it's at rehearsals or or, or the actual productions? You know, back when you were starting out. What what are the what are the times that you got? Gosh, I, you know, that was really special. Well, there was one one I can think of particularly. Um, I never went to rehearsals actually very much, um, particularly with Eda, because I just knew that she was doing you know. But she rang me during the rehearsal with the boyfriend and said, um, Sandy, will you come down to the place? I'd like you to see something. They were doing the finale of Act Two when uh, Polly has been deserted, she thinks, by, by her boyfriend who who she thinks is a thief and after her money. Uh, and and she starts singing, I could be happy with you. Yes. And all the cast slowly turn their backs in respect for her grief. Mm. She gets halfway through and then she breaks down and suddenly they turn around and say, that skies will be. <laughs> and that's the finale. And I, said, Christ, I think it is, it is incredible. I'm, I'm actually in tears, and yet I'm laughing. <laughs> I couldn't believe yes. it. And I said to Peter, this is genius, because all I had written was that Polly sang the number, and that was the yes. And And I said, this, this is, I mean, that's what I mean by what she contributed to the show. I could, she, she did half of it. And I said, that's, that's something I shall never mm. forget. And if anybody gets it wrong now, uh, which they sometimes do, I said, you've got to change that. Now, this is what it should be, because it's, that's, that's the secret of the show, really. You're laughing and you're crying. Inevitably, when we're in the theatre, we're collaborators, and it sounds like you've had some, some wonderful um, relationships there. You know, Is that purely down to personality? I mean, how, what, what makes, makes uh, a successful collaboration or, or otherwise? Is it to do with a shared vision? Is it? I think it's, uh, I think a shared vision, a, 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 an understanding of what I'm getting at. Really, I think that's the important thing, and you soon know that. Uh, and, and on the whole, I've been very fortunate with, with the directors I've worked with. Uh, I, I, I fully believe that once I've chosen the director, or it's been chosen for me, and I've agreed that you, you've got to leave it to them. Because yes. I think there's nothing worse than having, for a director than having someone over their shoulder saying, oh, no, that's right, you shouldn't be doing this. Because mm. if they want you, they'll call for you, like yes. Peter did for me. Uh, and, and, and for better or worse, you've got, just got to leave it to them. And when you finally get to rehearsal, you can soon tell yes. you know, 
And, and at that point, with, with any luck, you've still got time to say, I think, think it should be this, I think it should be that. Um, and if they agree, then that's fine. It doesn't always happen. If, uh, if a producer were to give you a theatre and say, we're going to do a revival um, of a Sandy Wilson musical and you can choose which one you would want to do, is, is there a, a show that's particularly close to your heart that you would like to see done? Your sort of Desert Island show, as it were. What, one in particular? Yes. Well, I, my, fa- my favourite show that shows I've written is Falmouth. Mm. I would love to see that again. Yes. Uh, but it's the most difficult show to mm. get right, mm. I, I would say. No, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see that again. Mm. I'd really sort of recommend listeners to, to go and, and, and hunt out a, a copy of the, um, the soundtrack because it really is a gorgeous score. Um, the Chichester version. <laughs> the Chichester version, there you go. <laughs> Well, Sandy Wilson, I, I'm so grateful for you to uh, giving up your time uh, to to speak to us at Voice of the Musical. Um, the experience you've shared is going to, is absolutely golden and uh, will be of huge interest and uh, and use to our listeners. So, thank you very much indeed for, for for coming on. And thank you very much. I've never had such a good interview, <laughs> and you can quote me. <laughs> I don't know how you stood it for so long. <laughs> Since our phone conversation, I actually met up with Sandy, and he was very keen to point out two errors in the original interview. One was that the review that Geoffrey Wright had taken him to was not at the Citizens Theatre, but the Unity Theatre. And the other is that Vida Hope's great innovation was to turn the cast to look at Polly, not on the line, skies may not always be blue, but on the line, but one thing is clear as can be. Thank you for listening to Voice of the Musical. Join us next time when we speak to Tim Minchin, creator of the songs for Matilda the Musical.